0: This is Roots on the Road. I'm Bernice Hembry,
1: And I'm Brian Hembry. We have spent the last 13 years touring the country as musicians and the last 11 building Fayetteville Roots, a music nonprofit based in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Some of our favorite moments involve the thrill of being on stage or seeing an artist in concert for the first time.
0: But for us, the most memorable experiences seem to take place offstage, chatting with musicians about their music, their lives, and what keeps them on the road. We love getting to know musicians and finding out just what makes them tick.
1: Together, we sit down with artists either while touring the country in our Sprinter van or when they pass through Fayetteville for a show.
0: Roots on the Road podcast explores artist-to-artist conversations about making a life in music and the humanity of being a touring musician. No topic is off limits.
1: We invite you to listen in.
0: This interview was meant to be aired as a Birds of Chicago segment. We talked with JT and Allie and have so much content to explore from that conversation. And I'm sure someday we will release an additional episode focusing on Birds of Chicago. But for now, we turn our attention to Allison Russell, the woman and the artist. JT, Allie's music and life partner, has always lifted up Allie and her music. We've seen it in person and on stage. But right now, JT has stepped off stage to allow Allison to take center stage with her solo project. It takes a special man to put his project on hiatus. But JT is a special man, and it makes my heart melt to see how he is supporting his family by stepping back and allowing Allison to shine. All of this to say, Birds of Chicago is on pause while Allison rides this new wave of her solo career.
2: Where in the world are the doors closed, not the clock the moon? Peerless love is
3: rainbow shooter's of wild acceptance the hopeful sinners, gentle teachers, the true forgivers, the courage, les, les amoureuses, les enfants braves, les grands
4: mergers l'élimineuses. You got love in your heart. But it's way down in the dark
2: You better let it see the sun This world is almost
3: done Grandma always told me Love will conquer hate I don't know if it's too late I don't know if it's too late Hey
2: you, hey you who you think I'm talking to? Show them what you got in your heart.
0: I am on the phone with Allison Russell. And she has so graciously invited us into her home via video and audio to talk to her about her album, Outside Child, and also a follow-up from our interview that we did at 38 in Florida in what seems like a million years ago, which was actually January of 2020. Isn't yeah. that wild? We had no
5: idea what was coming, didn't no, we? We were we just didn't. We didn't. I mean, blissfully ignorant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were, yes. Because then we went to Folk Alliance right after that and crammed yes. ourselves into small hotel rooms with thousands of people and yeah in new orleans and then i went
5: on and then i went on tour with birds of chicago opening for the wood brothers and we were supposed to play in kirkland which was the epicenter of the outbreak in in the Pacific Northwest. And of course, at that point, the tour got canceled. We all flew home,
0: I think March 11th, and I haven't gone anywhere. Exactly, (laughs) and and here we are. Well, I mean, it's coming back, and you're um, slowly going to be coming back to some live shows, one of them being at Roots Festival in August. I am so excited, y'all. We are, too. I am so excited. Just, that's going to be such a joyful reunion. There's so many great songs on Outside Child, but the last song, The Joyful Motherfuckers. (laughs) I was like, are we allowed to say it? (laughs) Joyful Motherfuckers. (laughs) Yeah, we're saying it. So when, when I first heard that song, my immediate thought was, oh my God, JT totally wrote this. Like It feels... Like we JT co-wrote song. it. We co-wrote I it. I wondered, so yeah. I wanted to know, how, yeah. how did that come about? Like, Was this something that JT presented to you, or were you like, hey, I have this song idea I want you to help me with? That was one that we actually wrote together. We just sat down and wrote it together.
5: And we were finishing it. It's the last song that we wrote. We were finishing it the day we went into the studio. Oh my gosh, yeah. perfect. And we were like, Are we, should we put this on there? And we played yes. it for the band, and they're like, yeah, you should put, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> joyful motherfuckers are like our version of Mr. Rogers, the helpers, you know? Find the helpers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: Find oh. the joyful
5: motherfuckers. I, I love, think should try create. and be one. <laughs> sure try and it's an to ourselves, you know, we'll it's to ourselves.
0: The, the well. Mr. Rogers and then underneath it just say, a joyful motherfucker. <laughs>
5: I love it because he was so radical you know he was so radical and talk about radical inclusivity radical empathy just and going and addressing Congress in his day and talking about what children need and just caring so deeply That's That's and daring to care I just think there's been this terrible kind of like almost glorification of like nihilism and don't care about anything. It's all it's like, no, dare to care. You can care. It's yes. it's it's okay. Yes, it hurts. It hurts yeah. to care. But it hurts to not care, do you? <laughs> you know? It hurts more. And I do think it's been this kind of fascinating sort of free-for-all experiment with algorithms that we're learning more and more are very, very problematic and are just nice. as, you know, these algorithms are created by people who are also affected by Uh, you know, bigoted thinking a lot of the time. And so it's, it's, we all have unconscious bias that we're struggling with. And then when it gets sort of enshrined in this very addicting kind of algorithmic paradigm that we're, you know, the, the the social media experiment that we're all sort of part of, because we can't, we can't, we can't help it really to, 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 um, operate in the modern world, you know, you're, you often ask to engage with it and yeah. finding ways to reduce harm within that realm, I think is really important too, you know? And I think we are, there, there are some gr- really important discussions happening around that and really brave sort of programmers who've come forward to talk about the problems that they see within the algorithms and. And I think so much of it, though, is also education around, like, just because you feel anonymous, it doesn't mean it's okay to, to speak really hatefully to someone because you're, you're stressed out or it feels safe to do it online. There are real... Rep- you know what, what expression I really despise is, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me? It's yes. so categorically untrue. Words yes. can kill. Literally they can. There are children who have committed suicide from from the level of cyberbullying they receive. Yes. You know? It's like words can kill and we can't we can't pretend otherwise. Words are spells, words are powerful, and we need to acknowledge that. And and to sort of this kind of oh I was you know, get over it, get over it. It's no big deal. It's just words, you know. Yeah. Words yeah. <laughs> Are powerful and Words I think when matter. we acknowledge they matter and when we acknowledge that when we acknowledge that we can use those powers to uplift or we can use them to oppress then there's more understanding about this is a choice you're choosing to oppress do you want to do that you yeah. probably don't not really if you really think about it
0: I have a really uh, I hope it's not too random of a question but I'm wondering when you learned to play chess like how did chess oh. come into your life that's a great question
5: it came into my life I went to a school called Roslyn um, that was my my primary school in Montreal and there was a chess club there and there was also a chess club at the public library um, Westmount Park Public Library and we lived in Westmount when I was a little girl, which was bizarre because Westmount was like the wealthy enclave in Montreal. And we were extremely poor, but my adoptive father, who, who was my primary abuser, was um, worked for an audiologist. And the audiologist shop had a little flat above it, and they let us rent that flat for next to nothing because he worked there. And so I ended up going to this school in a wealthy school district. It was a public school, but in a very wealthy school district. But I was also, there was an incredible public pool, there was an incredible park, Westmount Park, and a brilliant, brilliant public library, and they had a chess club, and I joined the chess club at the library when I was about five years old, and I loved it. And we had a chess club at my school, too, and Howard, who taught the chess club at the library, would come to my school once a week and teach the chess club there, and I adored it. I just loved the game and I loved that the queen was the most powerful piece on the board and I loved just the you know, how you can study and learn for years and still be surprised by that game. Exactly. And I just love that. Do you still play? I still play, not often enough. I, I, yeah. I try it every now and then. I'll do a game online with my little brother, who is has far surpassed any chess skills I ever had. <laughs> he just creams me now, but it's, I, I, loved that game. And it was that's fun, yeah. That whole I've been thinking it's interesting. I'm on a I have a B in my bonnet about public pools in Nashville, because they were taken from the community during the time of integration, and it was yeah. it was bigotry that that took you know it was like rather than integrate, rather than allow black folks in the pools, they shut them down, and it's yeah. kind of never it's really never been addressed. There are some indoor public pools at the community centers and the Y's and things like. but there are no, zero
0: outdoor public pools in Nashville. Yeah, it's actually, it's something that is being discussed here in Fayetteville too. Is it too? Oh, that's brilliant.
5: I think it's Mm -hmm. so important. And this is another example of, you don't necessarily think of a pool when, how do we resolve these gulfs between communities? How do we, you know, push back against racism and bigotry and homophobia and all the rest of it? Well, public pools are one of the few places where people from totally different socioeconomic strata can equally be enjoying and accessing. And together, you know, and sitting in a sauna together or sitting in a steam room together or playing in the water together, it breaks down false barriers. It breaks down false divisions. It allows for understanding and just joyful human
0: interaction. And I actually think they're really important. I'm going to use this, and we'll just submit it to the city. Yes. Like, Listen, um, Allison I and I talked about that. this. We want you to hear what she thinks, too. Yes, <laughs> it's important. It's so funny, Bernice,
5: because I'm in the midst of starting to talk to some of the council people here in Nashville and yeah. doing some outreach, and I, we're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we campaign for this? How do we create a coalition across all kinds of lines that are perceived but are not, are yeah. that, that to me, I believe are ultimately false constructs. You know, it's it, it should be bipartisan support for this. It should be, everybody right. should support this because it's know, our kids, on. not just our kids' well-being, but our elders' well-being. I think right. about, you know, how for a lot of older people, going out and running or walking is not a, po- a possible thing with, with joint health or mobility issues. For mm-hmm. for And also for all all abilities, you know, for disabled kids to be able to swim and have a wonderful time, you know, or maybe they couldn't, the heat is oppressive here in the summer as well, you know, yeah. and the pool yeah, just, that's true. there's so, so many health benefits and so many communal benefits.
0: I love it. I love yeah. how we went from chess to swimming at the public pool. That's because it's,
5: to me it's all part of the same thing. I had this public chess club that I got to go be part of and it didn't matter that I was poor. I could sit and yeah. play the same as anyone else. And it was it was an equalizer again. I guess that's what I mean. These these you know, I lo- of course I watched um the, was it The Queen's Gambit? Was that what it was called? Yes, oh, yes that was so I good. loved that series and it really I touched me. And I thought, that's exactly right. It's it's such an equalizer because you don't have to be from some wealthy family to learn chess and yeah, right. really get really good at it. You don't have to, you know. And it's yeah. it's a game that I feel like it teaches you that you're capable of more than you think you are.
0: Well, hey, best wishes on all the upcoming interviews and thanks for taking time to do this one. My pleasure. And thanks for your bravery and beauty that you're putting out into the world.
5: Thank you. I say the same to you. Yeah.
3: Between every note, the swallow sings. I'm fourteen vultures circling. I'm that crawling, dying thing on the smog above the trees. Good Lord, fire On the branch the burning low. Maybe you were sleeping, low, but maybe she's not weeping. I'm on. Me. that the dawn will bring you.
1: We are here at 30A Songwriters Festival, and uh, this has been a fun experience to take this podcast, uh, which we traditionally uh, tape in Arkansas, but take it on the road. Um, And it's been fun because we've been able to, uh, you know, be around so many musicians. I think there's other 220 musicians here at this festival. It's a little amazing. It's (laughs) It's a little amazing.
4: Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I had, we did it last year, but we kind of, our schedule was weird and we kind of, Rolled in on the last day and rolled out, and I didn't quite have a sense of the scope. And just this year, we've you know, we did it right. We were here for five days, and I'm just fully realizing, you know, literally how many writers there are
1: here. It's just crazy. It, yeah, it, it very inspiring. Very inspiring, intimidating. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, it seems like there's synergy. Uh, you know, uh, I see a lot of writers here that are here solo, um, and you all obviously are always at least a duo, yeah. and then you've brought a trio with you to this uh, to this um, uh, festival. But paint a picture for us uh kind of, you know, the different configurations that are Birds of Chicago.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think...
5: It's a collective. Really. It's a collective, yes. and that's
4: that was that was the idea from the start. Like in 2013, I mean, it started with the, the kind of bare bones, pragmatic, economic fact that um, uh, in 2013 there was not um, a powerful demand uh, for uh, us. Uh, so where there was lukewarm demand, there was lukewarm money involved, and and so. Uh, you know, it was just on a pragmatic level. It was just so Allie and I went out and we did it. And but we always imagined that, you know, we had already had a tribe of musicians that we kind of loved, and that yeah. the and hope was we could girl
5: members of JTN yeah. Clouds, yeah. And, and
4: the hope was that we could expand, you know, our touring tribe uh, as the years went 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 on, and and we were able to do that. And so, but. Um, but the idea is always in kind of a loose collective, um, where Ali and I were the constants, and uh, we were the ones that were nutty enough to like. Just f- it felt normal to, you know, to go do a couple hundred shows right out of the gate, and um, and now it's less of a pragmatic thing, and it's 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 more of, um, it's kind of a it's a very lucky kind of musical blessing to have this probably crew of about seven or eight musicians who are usual suspects that who we just love deeply as people and um you know we go out for a run with champagne and he's such a painter and he's such an artist and then and then we'll do a run with our brother Steve Dawson and
5: um another fellow Canadian yeah, another fellow national podcaster treasure and yeah. another fellow podcaster yeah, yeah. music yeah. maker soul shaker and then podcast. as as
4: y'all know you know when when we're doing um shows with the full rhythm section you know that's another beast and it can kind of evolve into a a thing and um you know maybe at some point it would be great you know to, to be doing the big rock and roll review where you you have that all under one tent where a show gets big and gets small and um but for now it's uh it uh it really feels good doing it this
2: way
1: JT in the clouds and Po girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were both bands, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, and can you, you know, speak a little bit about coming out of your both, you were together, um, but you were both doing different band it's projects like and, and then you yeah. came out of that in, and, and kind of formed, you know, a, a, a duo musically. Can you yeah. talk about how that, how that process worked?
5: Well, actually it's funny. We're about, we're, we're all heading to Folk Alliance yeah. this next weekend. And I first heard JT, pre-clouds at the vancouver folk alliance in 2001 i was 21 you weren't even 20 i huh? was 20 i was wow. 20 and i was um i was 18. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not that that's I funny because he's this. uh eight and a half years older than me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyhow um he he was playing that was he had his first um, kind of serious songwriting project called The First Iteration of the Capital Sunrays. Um, the first iteration was with an incredible singer from the hills of Ohio uh, named Michelle McGrath, who we adore and who has just sung on our most recent record that's not even mixed yet. Um, but Michelle and JT had this group, The Capital Sunrays, it was their last couple shows basically because Michelle was getting off the road, getting ready to be a mom, moving to rural. Ohio, outside of Athens, you know, just deciding that it, she wasn't going to be touring anymore. So I got to see their last couple of shows and they were just doing kind of guerrilla style. I remember it was like a hallway at, at Riot at the Hyatt, you know, it, um, in Vancouver, uh, 2001, Vancouver, British Columbia, that is. And I was there tagging along with the Be Good Tanyas. I was, hadn't even started Pogirl yet, was very much in the closet as a musician still. Um, just kind of starting to come out a little bit.
3: Just Chimes in the morning, feet to the earth. Wild birds calling. A little rebirth cold pavement pressed Against a bare foot Can you feel the mother moving Through the bonds of our works? Who have you been What can you hear? What can you see? What can you do? What can be done? Who can ever know the mystery within? Dernier sur un premier, Une belle journée Tourne seul, tourne au soleil Chante, chante <muché> Dust of the stars Bones of bread
5: Tell the rest of the story. I told the beginning. Really I was rambling off? too much.
4: 2002. How long? Is this been? <laughs> no, I left off.
5: I left off. 2003. 2003. No, and you don't have to go as in depth. I don't know why I was doing that. I just started rambling. Oh, it's Will great. You... <laughs> the in depth is what
4: we want. Well, she was reading from our Wikipedia. Page. Um, no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, kind of bad form, I think. Um, I moved to Chicago and started the JT in the clouds thing. And, and, um, and then Poe Girl started touring like 300 days a year, just all over the world. And, um, they came through in 2004 and we put on a show for them in Chicago. And, you know, we were, you know, there was just a connection right away. And, um, you know, from basically from 2004 to 2009, uh god that's a long time to be doing this, but it was sort of a um a period of their band was so going. our band j t in the clouds, I think history will indicate was criminally underappreciated <laughs> uh, uh, and, and so we, but we were just basically playing the chicago scene and we 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 would take a little foray here and there, but we weren't we weren't a touring band um So we weren't seeing each other very much but we were kind of gradually making more and more excuses to do things together but yeah it wasn't till you know 2011 where we like began to talk about uh um, you know trying to find a way to 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 be on the road together and make music together and uh, i corrupted
5: him (laughs) i encouraged (laughs) him to quit his day job yes
4: (laughs) and then uh but yeah and then so But so it took to 2013 to like actually take the plunge of we're gonna, you know, drop the other things we're doing and carve out space and time. And, you know, for me, a big part of that artistically was, I mean, somewhere around 2010, I, and this this happened a little bit with Michelle, but it was more intentional, uh, Michelle and the Capital Sunrays. But um, when I'd be writing, New songs would kind of come and they would just without any um conscious thought, they would just announce themselves immediately as the songs that Allie was supposed to be singing. They would just say they were just kinda of, kind of like I would hear her voice was internalized enough with me that it just there was not even any thinking about it.
3: Allie, out with your regimen, we can leave to bust to girl bed eighteen you didn't do nothing they went in their room they came out after her eyes found you we know the color we know the color of love we know the color we know the color of love we know the color we know the color, of love. We, know the color of love. we know the color we know the color of
4: you know as a writer you're just looking it's, it's 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 great to just be able to you have this just avenue and this incredible instrument so um you're tapping into so your that feminine was, side. <laughs> um so that and it, i think that was a big part of the transition of like well this this feels like it has to be a um i think that's what helped us initially leap from just collaborating and figuring out ways to collaborate to being like oh, this is this is a thing
5: We were also freaked out because we you know had fallen in love and we had a, a personal relationship a romantic relationship sort of from 2006 on and it felt scary frankly to merge those things you know to and I'm sure you guys have navigated your own journey with that being life partners as well as work and music partners and you um, it was really frightening to contemplate sort of putting everything in one basket and um, not having that separation anymore. And yeah, I think it took us a while to just wrap our heads around it. We're kind of both late bloomers, I think.
2: Yeah, no <laughs> so. doubt.
1: Can you talk about that period? I mean, in my mind, um, J.T. and the Clouds and Po' Girl um, are on kind of different, different ends of the songwriting world, so to speak. You mm-hmm. know, I think a Po' Girl is definitely fresh and new, but a string band of sorts. Yeah, kind of rootsier. Uh, yeah, rootsier string band, yeah. and J.T. and Clouds is almost a rock and roll outfit. You yeah. know? Yeah. So can you can you each speak to you know what was informing, uh, you know, what informed? both those styles for you you know so beyond or going you know pre uh, those bands you know what were you listening to that informed your rock sensibilities and what were you listening to that yeah. informed your string band sensibilities
4: yeah i mean i know from the clouds you know we definitely were on the like rock and roll rock and soul path you know i was like you know uh i wanted to be somewhere between tom petty and sly and the family stone you know a good feeling um, now Good feeling now. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
3: We can't trust it now. Be me back
4: on this When the,
5: day um, oh, and the band were a huge influence on all of you. I that's would say. true. I mean, of yeah. course. I mean, yeah. it's, it's
4: funny. It's like sometimes I don't name check the band because they're so internalized, is pretty much the reason I <laughs> started that oh, I forget yeah. to, you know, there's mm-hmm. like the, just like an extension of uh, myself. Um, But yes, undoubtedly. Uh, But as far as, I mean, and I don't have to tell y'all this because you know this as well as anybody, but um, I think to outsiders, you know, the connections between a band like Poe Girl and JT and the Clowns, there's... I think that the the leap is more in just um, Sonic and like how... Just how much muscle you are bringing to a certain kind of uh, presentation, where from a songwriting perspective, and from a you know the the way we see American music at this point, you know the kind of mongrel that it is, and the way we embrace that, there actually you know um, there's a lot more through lines between those two projects than um, than might, might it, at first be evident, yeah, you know, yeah. um, you know with for me I just you know, I just heard a hell of a singer in Alley and I was like, oh. I mean um and uh the interesting thing about that um is that, that never had that never um felt like a a conscious divide we had to brook and, and you know like in, in when you're making art or anything uh in this life it's the stuff it's the stuff that you have to stop and think about that probably should be making your spider sense tingle. And it's just happening. Like if, if you're just doing it and it feels very natural, then, then, then you know the river That's is where flowing you're f- the way. Yeah. That's
1: where you fall. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I think the difference is also what can make it so beautiful where like her voice was so different. Like it sang your lyrics differently than... Right if you would have said the same words, it just doesn't come out the same. Yeah. When we first met, I was coming from that like musical theater, like very trained voice. And when I picked up his songs and started singing them, it was really different than the way he would have performed that song. And so it kind of takes on a new life. and a new sound and a new meaning sometimes uh, when you pick it up and
4: it's endlessly fascinating. Yeah.
0: You know, we influence
5: yeah. each other. And there's that indefinable kind of osmosis thing that starts to happen to you and you're creating together all the time and yeah. working together and experiencing life together, you know, all of those things inform the way the music sounds, I think too. Um, I think I had a very, um, well, sort of a repressed, uh, and oppressed upbringing, I guess I would say. I was, you know, had a very broken childhood and a foster family for the first five years almost. Um, They were not into music at all. They were kind of religiously against very, very extreme, um, sort of a kind of a born again in a way, born-again Catholics, if that makes sense, but, um, um, there was a lot of, no, there was a (laughs) lot of very intense, um, just, they, they, they weren't into joyful expression, let's put it that way. And, um, and so my natural instinct of warbling along all the time to things as a kid was actively suppressed. And then when I went to live with my biological mom and my, adoptive father he was a very abusive guy who was m- musical in a way but very rigid about what he considered to be worthy music and basically anything after 1895 wasn't too cool so I grew up without hearing a lot of modern music but I, my, my maternal grandmother is Scottish and she had um, a wealth of Scottish Canadian I should say and had a wealth of songs from the old country old murder ballads and um, played the piano beautifully and sang in her, you know, Presbyterian, Scottish Presbyterian Church Choir. And so she was my, the first person that I really connected with um, musically. And I do, you know, I do still love, you know, Bach and Beethoven. And
4: I love the story of your, your blues awakening. Who was it that gave you the, the tape? Of, there was uh, this
5: boy who had a crush on me in high school, and he gave me this bootleg of a tape front that was made by the, um, Library of Congress and Smithsonian archival tape of race recordings called the Sweet Petunias. And it was, um, volume two and it was recordings of these incredible women like the bandana sisters and, um, Mae West actually had a hmm. recording on these race record as a protest against the segregation of the wow. recording industry. I mean, she was, I could, I want to do a whole project about her sometime, but, um, And Friday's Apple Pie Day, but the guy I see on Friday sets me for the rest of the week. My man Friday. And she had, like, I mean, they're incredible, these songs. And I was mind blown when I heard these women singing about their lives and about prostitution and about being homeless and about being abused and about surviving that and all of these things that were like, (gasps) I can't believe anyone can write this and sing this. I just didn't know that was possible. Kind of started to crack open um, my my mind and curiosity about what else was out there and what people could do. And then I I left home. I ran away from home when I was very young, uh, 14, 15, and wound up moving from Montreal, Quebec, where I was born, to um, running all the way to Vancouver, British Columbia. And I have a an auntie there who's a songwriter, Janet Lillian Russell, and she kind of invited me into her magic circle, and I went to my first folk fest, the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, and it was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life, you know, and I got a gig, um, singing the national anthem, the Canadian national anthem, (laughs) for the NDP party, the new democratic party of Vancouver, BC, and, because I could sing in French and English, and,
4: Still the most you've ever made for a gig. Yes,
5: they paid me $350 <laughs> to sing one 3-minute song. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, shocking. Well, yeah. Was <laughs> just, I, just I was shocked. I was like a really broke teenage runaway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're
2: like, "I, I can do I this can, do I can
4: make this? money doing this?" <laughs> That's always been so fascinating was, to me though because I, I just love that notion of like the idea of your, you know, it's not easy with a ton of singers cuz we're all exposed to so much. You know, like what are your source materials? And I just love the idea that Scottish murder ballads <laughs> and one tape of amazing 1920s blues—you know, like that's your source material to start. Like, and that cracks things wide yeah. open. And you know, it is it
5: started my. I mean, it's y'all
4: wouldn't even. I mean, it's it's like I, when we first started hanging out in 2006. I mean, she's not kidding. Like the pop culture, like.
5: I have big gaps. lost years i learning I mean I be playing this
4: and she's like god this is really good who is this is it oh uh, is Aretha Franklin is this, <laughs> is, is, is this young woman's name and yes she yeah. is a very accomplished it's, it's taking me yeah, I, I've been, I also I've been enjoy making up last time uh, <laughs> and you know but like you know if you like People just don't believe that, you know, and so... uh, Well, the first uh,
5: band I was in in Vancouver was a band called Fear of Drinking, and it was kind of like a Celtic rock band, and because I knew all these Scottish murder ballads, they were like, do you want to come sing with us? Sure. People were always very confused seeing this, like, 17-year-old, you know... black kid from Montreal singing these Scottish murder ballads but you know that's what I knew you know, I know these songs and the guy would sometimes slip in these other songs which I thought were his and I was like we've really got to focus on your originals they're amazing and he was like that's the Beatles <laughs> it's John Lennon and Paul McCartney what is wrong with you and so that began my, yeah, my pop culture exploration
2: I've come here today to give you the news No time to lose, no lullaby. I'm not gonna soothe you. Are you half asleep? Are you caught in a dream? All of your senses, come on, give them to me no reminiscence. No memories of faded constellations, faded constellations, lost tears.
1: you you've had a massive collaboration this last couple of years the, our native uh, daughters
5: yes our native daughters kind of came out of um my friendship with riannon giddens she um invited me and amethyst kia and leila mccalla to come down to louisiana um this was actually two two Januarys ago now that we actually recorded the record um and she invited us to come down and make an album, a recording for Smithsonian Folkways. She had a name, Songs of our Native Daughters, she had ideas of where she wanted, what kind of material and territory and subject matter she wanted to explore. And it was basically, the only caveat was she wanted us to write on the banjo, which we all do anyway and and we kind of got into it. The name Songs of Our Native Daughters comes from, it's an homage to James Baldwin's Notes of a Native Son, you know, that first kind of mind-blowing book of essays that just changed the conversation about race and heritage and equity in America, basically. So I went deep into some of that material and I watched I Am Not Your Negro and I'm still not recovered, basically, from that. And anyway, went deep into some of my own family history as well, right? But it was really an interesting, um, kind of dovetailing because when Rhiannon invited me to do that, it was right around the time I was getting to know my paternal biological family better. And, um, I met them when I was 30 years old and they're from, uh, Grenada, that side, that side of my heritage comes from Grenada. And of course they were not brought willingly. They were brought in chains. Um, and there's a, one of my family members uh, is a historian, and she has traced our our lineage back to uh, as far back as she can to a, a woman named Kashiba, who was kidnapped um, somewhere in Ghana and sold off the coast of Ghana and sold several times and wound up on a plantation in, in the north of Grenada, where she became willingly or unwillingly the matriarch of our of our lineage.
3: Koshiba, Kashiva, You're free now, you're free now How does your spirit fly? Bloody old man blood. Born of your bone By the grace of your strength We have life From the golden coast to God the bondage of your neighbor you kept the dream of hope alive they burned your body they cursed your blackness but they could not take your lights Kishiba Kishiba you're free now you're free now how does your spirit
5: There was just something about um, being with Rhiannon and Layla and Amethyst and exploring this history together and kind of having each other, you know, for support and communion. That um, we just felt all the ancestors really close. I think the entire time we were recording and. That sort of came through again and again in, in, in different songs for each of us. and we, we did a lot of co-writing, but we also wrote individually. Um, amethyst is up for a Grammy right now with the song that that came through for her um, called Black Myself and um, beautiful, you know, powerful song. and um, and i and and Kashiba was one that came through really I kind of felt like it it was like three, I mean, those sessions were pretty intense where we we did them all in 10 days basically. Um, and we would be writing the night before and I'm I'm someone whose creative time is later in the evening. So I would be writing till, you know, three in the morning, four in the morning and then we'd go into the studio at 11 and we would record those songs. Um, so we would sometimes, you know, the ones that Amethyst and I co-wrote uh, a few together and she would, um, you know, send me an idea and I would send her one. and. I Remember she the blood and bones she sent me, she had this this chorus, and she was like, "I don't know what, where I feel like there's a thread we can follow with this chorus, and I was like that night we I just downloaded the verses <laughs> you know like they came from wherever the
0: ancestors um, but it was it was a powerful experience. Are those songs harder to share because they're so personal? You
5: know they're not in that um they felt it felt very joyful to be even though it's such intense and sorrowful and grievous in some ways subject matter. Being able to to do that together and the, the agency that we have, the kind of the fact that we're all standing on the shoulders of all of our foremothers and fathers who had such, whose lives had just unimaginable hardship and um, t- to know that we get to continue their work. And live their wildest dreams was very healing in a way, I guess, is the, is the best word I could use for it. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's a bizarrely, it's emotional for sure, but it, there's a, there's a kind of a a hopeful joy that comes along with, with sharing, sharing the songs that we wrote together and that I, I wrote that came out of it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was, um, I'm still processing, and we're still, you know, we're in the early days, really, of that project. We are, we are definitely going to do another record, and we've got some, some tours coming up, which are not yet announced. So I won't, I won't (laughs) jump the gun, but that record, though, let it be known, there is more to come. I
4: mean, it was just so cool to see because that record had a, you know, it wasn't like there was a big promotional push behind it, and it had such an impact, and people reacted so viscerally and so immediately, and you know, like it was. It's just a record people are going to remember for a long time, and 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 people that um, monitor this sort of thing will look back and and note that it was not nominated for record of the year by either Folk Alliance yeah. or Grammy, uh, Mary, which is uh, uh, a horrifying, a horrifying.
5: <laughs> Jt's outraged uh, for us. <laughs> I'm
4: outraged. I'm full of uh, of. Uh. White rage? Was that the. <laughs> that's, oh, no, not oh, the weird, no. that's
5: not the term you want. Uh, wait, no. <laughs> ally uh, rage. Ally rage. Ally rage. <laughs> I like
2: that. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, oh, come rage. on. No. Angus, bruh. I, no. I have the same shock, um, but it feels like you all are standing on this equal ground on that record. Yeah. And maybe it's just too much to, 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 you know, to figure out. Yeah. You know, maybe. Um, meaning like that. that is. Um, that's an achievement, you know, to, to be able to stand together shoulder to shoulder and present this artistic front in that way.
5: I love that you just said, because it very much is, it feels like a very equal sisterhood and a very, and you know, it's a funny thing. It was, it was an interesting, we, we had, we were so um, honored to get to play the Newport Folk Fest this summer. And But it was an interesting thing for Rhiannon, who has played that festival three times in different configurations, once with um, the chocolate truck, Caroline Chocolate Drops, and twice solo. And she, in fact, was one of the few artists to ever play both the the Folk Fest and the Jazz Fest the same summer. And she has never not played the main stage until she started a project with three other black women and then we were on a side stage. And I don't say that with any kind of rancor uh, about... I I know it was not an intentional... Mm -hmm. Um, it was not a conscious light, yeah. but it was an interesting thing. I thought, oh, wow, you got demoted when you started a project with your sister. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's funny. And I don't know, maybe I'm seeing it the wrong way, but I think there are there some... Are some real,
4: real talk happening on your podcast. And I don't, yeah. a,
5: I don't mean this in a, in a uh, I'm not, um, I don't mean this in a vitriolic way at all. It's just we observe these things as, as, as black women in this milieu where it's, you know, we've been all of us, mistaken for one another multiple mm. times o- over and over again over and and I will tell you something even crazier I've been mistaken for Mavis Staples oh and I know this sounds crazy y'all, and people don't you know white friends don't believe me <laughs> like it's true there it's it's a thing and it's not nobody is meaning the people that are making that mistake are not meaning any harm they don't yeah. mean any harm they mean respect they mean I love your music and, but it's this interesting like it's a token it's it's a tokenizing that happens i think unfortunately Mm -hmm. and and that was part of the power of coming together to make this music together and it was the for each of us it was the first time where it was like all of these things we didn't have to explain or or no no really you know we've all had the experience of of dear beloved friends who don't who are not as melanated kind of going oh well racism isn't a thing in our community or it's not a bigotry isn't a thing in our, you know. It's like, well, it's great that you've never experienced it. I'm really happy for you well, that you haven't. You know,
1: there's a history in, a real thing. in commercial music and the way people consume music um, of that. I Meaning, yeah. one, this is applicable to us. People oftentimes ask us about "Smoky and the Mirror," and it's it's multifaceted. Yeah. But one of the places that comes from um, is one of my favorite unintended puns in the music business, and it's when a fabulous gospel group The Miracles. Uh, promoted their lead singer Smokey Robinson to the front and they became Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. And, and if it, just in that, for example, the, you know, the consumer or the listener needed an identity, right. they couldn't understand the miracles, but for some reason, and probably a record executive right. understood they would understand Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and, and the, the, the unintended nod to that or the intended nod to that that I speak about is, is like how shocking that is, right? And yeah. and then just the the irony of smoke and mirrors and 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 all of that idea. But you know, yeah. I am more compelled, you know, by that that shoulder to shoulder front, you know, that, yeah. that force, yeah. that that yeah. collective force. Uh, and so the, I agree with JT. I think that has a long arc.
4: Yeah, and I mean, anytime there's a there's the power. I mean, if you want to also get kind of. The thing that makes it will make it enduringly kind of aesthetically compelling is 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 I mean you were starting to get at this it's not just four powerful artists I mean those four artists again sometimes we have this problem in they are black woman artists who happen to play the banjo, but they are such incredibly distinct voices from each other they come together and it's very powerful, but that's part of the power is that like if you put. You, listening to each four, four of them separately, what they do on their own is, is very distinct and very different. You know, it all is under this mother, but it's, 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 and you know, and that is something that we also have to be careful about, you know, with sort of the well meaning thing, um, you know, is that you don't cease to make distinctions between, you know, we uh, we white men with guitars uh, have the full expectation that there will be very nuanced, uh, you know, understandings of, you know, why we're different from, you know, pick, you know, one from the other, like uh, Neil uh, Young, I know, yeah. Yeah. Jeff Tweedy, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like that. That is an expectation. No we care, you know. Uh, no and, one
5: told uh, you know Neil Young. Sorry, man. Bob Dylan's already around. We don't need yeah. your music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I literally, and I won't name names, but was literally told once there was a label considering. Birds of Chicago, and they were like, oh, we already have, you know, a black woman artist who plays banjo, so we can't have two. Yeah. Well, they, they actually, they, 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 well, they, they, I mean,
4: in their defense, they okay. didn't, I'm gonna give them credit because they were being honest. They were, but they, were they, they, they didn't say exactly that. They said, but it, what, what they did say was even more telling, where they said, we have, you know, the visual of a black woman with the banjo, but they also said, uh, you know, a powerful, female lead vocal and, you know, we would have to use a lot of the same adjectives, mm. uh, you know, and they're coming, and the records would be coming out within a year of each other. And it's just like, there's a, there's a weird
5: that goes into Latin. the greater conversation of women in music yes. and how we're yes. perceived just, and it's how just it's like, one oh, more. you can only just, have a couple of you It's one more, and you have to be in competition with each other. It's like, wait, right. what? It's just no. one more absolutely, absolutely not. We should right.
0: do something unique or yeah. look yeah. somewhat <laughs> different. Well, unlike it always, it always is. And though it can't be
5: unique if you're, as though there's a, you know, oh, if you play a banjo, you sound, because ex- I sound exactly like Kaya Cater, who sounds exactly like Rhiannon, who sounds exactly like Amethyst, like who sounds exactly like Adia, who sounds exactly like Yola. It's like, no. <laughs> you know no totally different artists and know. some of that just gets <laughs> yeah, solved with yeah.
4: exposure you know I because mean, because because yeah. some of it, it's it's not necessarily like a um it, it it's not a nefarious thing on a like a, on a listener's stand it's just they haven't heard enough so we have to do our job and put that music in their ears uh you know where it's because then some of those distinctions start to happen naturally, you know. Um, but, the, well, but, but but the companies have to exposure the a- and
5: access. I mean and like like Brandy Carlisle and the High Women are, are really addressing this issue head on with country music radio, you know, where they will only play women every two songs out of every whatever it is, some ridiculous stat out of every fifty or something. You know, and they're they're really going after that issue and um, and and getting conversation happening right and I think hopefully that's how things start to shift when people realize oh there's this bias that we're assuming listeners don't want to hear these things but we're creating, you know, what, what is this like a chicken and an egg? Is that true? I don't think that's true. I think that I've never been to a show and played a show where people are like, I really wish there were fewer women on stage singing. No, never, Never. that has never happened. It has never happened. You know, Brandy Carlisle's all woman fronted festival selling out, you know, instantly. So it's, not true that people don't want to hear women playing right and and we're sort of and even you know the minority subsect of the minority or whatever but you know it's all it's all sisterhood and it's all should all be peoplehood you know i would love us to get beyond brotherhood sisterhood genderhood anything you know like it would be great to just get past that but we're not quite you know we're inching there we're inching forward
1: so get out on uh, Allie and JT you've been so gracious to us you know you've put us in front of audiences in in Chicago um, sold out shows in Chicago and took us on the east Coast and have been so supportive of what we do um, and we've we've been together a lot over the years but it's always in a show yeah we I've never get it's to true. just sit down and commiserate and even though it may seem weird that the tape is rolling while we're doing this um, it, it occurs to me that you know we've we've been able to chat for so long because we've been you know, we don't get to do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. we don't get yeah. to dig in and just say, Hey, you know, this is what's going on guys. Yeah. Like last, last night, uh, we sat down with a, some other musician friends and, and we closed down a bar and grill.
2: <laughs> I and I can't tell it. you, like, we, you know, oh, just, just so closed needed. it
1: down. And, 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 and I feel that way tonight too. We're kind of closing down this, this podcast capture, but it, it feels right because, you know, we find so much, um, we talk back to that collaboration community. We find so much, um, Uh, you know, togetherness with you two. And we just don't get to, like, um, have that time. And so it's been really nice to take that time. Well,
4: I I, I know we're going to wrap this up, but I I feel like I've been wanting to... We were just bragging on y'all last night about the specific... the personalities that it takes for you two to be the sacrifices you make, uh, you know, to have such a top flight band is smoking in the Mirror with with the level of artistry but that you guys willingly you know give up so much of your mental and spiritual bandwidth to to this Roots Festival that gives so much amazing to so many people and the way you all negotiate those two hemispheres I mean, I I have some sense of how impressive a feat that is, and uh, I just hope people realize that because it's I I, I I I aside from just the work, I can only imagine what it's like just ne- negotiating, you know, being an artist and being doing what you do and and fighting that good fight that you are as artist, but also. All that time you have to give to the—and to and, and heart, you have to give to the fast and selflessness. So, um, right on,
5: you guys.
0: To learn more about Allison, go to her website, com and birdsofchicago.com
1: This interview was recorded on location at 30A Festival in Florida January 2020
0: A big thank you to Oxford American and Sarah Lewis for partnering with us to make it happen and a big thanks to all those hard working folks at 30A who bring such great music to light
1: This episode was edited and produced by Josue Garcia at the Roots Studio in Fayetteville
0: This season of Roots on the Road is sponsored by Tyson Family Foundation,
1: Tito's Vodka,
0: Adventure Subaru,
1: and Experience Fayetteville. Fayetteville Roots is a 501c3 organization with a mission to connect community through music and food.
0: We produce the Fayetteville Roots Festival,
1: operate the Roots HQ, a historic venue on the Fayetteville Square.
0: We foster support opportunities for musicians and for our music community.
1: And lead year-round music and food programming in Northwest Arkansas and beyond.
0: Learn more at FayettevilleRoots.org. We'll
2: go, Keep it moving down the line. Namaste, my daddy,